I'm Fathery. This is Dave. This is Brian. And this is Text Trek. Engage. back aboard the Starship Texas for the 91st installment of the Tex Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we talk all about Star Trek all the time, and today is a very special day that we've been waiting on oh, for yeah. a long time. We're going to crack open a bottle of the uh, Chateau Picard, because... The bald man is back. The, <laughs> I like that. The bald man, the great man, as he's called in this episode. Yeah. The great baldy has returned. <laughs> the great bald of the galaxy. That's what the TNG cast called Patrick Stewart. They called him Old Baldy, and then after he got knighted, they started calling him like Sir Baldy. I think. Did they really? Yeah. That's kind of messed up. <laughs> it's like yeah. Michael Dorn, Marina Sirtis. So on once that. we can, once again, we can finally bald, baldly go. <laughs> yes. That. uh... The joke that we've been hearing since 1987. Yeah, but, but now is the right time, if ever there was one. Yes. Yeah, so... It's um, time to bring those jokes back. Right. This uh, episode that we're going to be discussing, we're going to go full spoilers um, and just break it down scene by scene. So if you haven't watched <laughs> it yet, you probably don't want to listen to this until you have checked it out. And then come back and find us. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll give you... One little kind of a non-spoilery just opening statement to give off our, our general thoughts on the episode Remembrance. We'll let uh, Brian begin. Brian, how did you feel about this episode? I I loved it. I thought it was uh, a perfectly executed example of what it was trying to be. So, um, and I really, yeah, I, I enjoyed it on all sorts of levels. It was it was superb. Nice. Dave, how about you? Uh, so, um, I think I went, had, had gone from when this was, uh, being promoted and, uh, previewed. I went from being very enthused to thinking, eh, it's not gonna live up to being, uh, much happier with it than I expected to be. Uh, the, um, it surprised me, uh, throughout by being, uh, a little different than I, than, than I expected, and I didn't expect to have, have some of the emotional resonance it did. Uh, I think I can, I, I will be able to dredge up some minor criticisms, but overall, uh, I'm super excited about it. I really liked it. And you, Father? Cool. And if anyone can hear a squeaking noise, it's because I'm preparing to uncork this bottle of a Chateau Picard wine. We're not gonna, we're right. not gonna crash it across <laughs> the, uh, an Enterprise, uh, was it the, uh, the Enterprise B. Enterprise, Enterprise B, B yes. Yeah. Um, that wasn't Picard wine, though. That would have been too big of a coincidence if it was. But, uh, my, my general feelings on this episode, 
I really liked it, and it is kind of what I was expecting, because I was expecting really good stuff, and that's what I got, <laughs> even though the premise did surprise me a little bit in ways that I enjoyed, because I like to be surprised. I don't want to know everything going in. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was extremely cinematic, and it felt very modern uh, in, in a good way. Um, I, it, it's... Well, it reminded me of some of the stronger, the strengths of the Trek movies when they're, when they're rolling. Um... Why'd you stop talking? Uh, because I was like, you're tensed up and coiled with, uh... <laughs> the wine is open! Oh, yeah, now it's on. Apologies for the awkward pause there. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, some you know, of the strengths of the movies... Yeah, right, you know, like, we, we all know that the movies, uh, don't, don't always reflect the strengths of the show, uh, at times, and some of the depth, but when they're good, they can be really good. When even I, some of the weaker ones have really good parts. I would say that even though this doesn't feel like TNG, it does feel exactly how I want it to feel, and that is an evolution of TNG. Mm-hmm. Much in the same ways that wines can mature over the years, I oh. feel like this show yeah. is is kind of a maturation from from Star Trek: Next Generation. Not that there is anything wrong with TNG, but this is just kind of like the the next stage, kind of what this the sequel to that should be, or just a sequel focused on Picard should. be. I don't be. think yeah. any of us would want them to re- try to recreate TNG. Yeah, and they certainly se. don't. They allow that this is a person who has aged, and they let it, it let him evolve. I, I don't. I um I think this is as close as we could ever reasonably expect to get a con- er, expect for getting a continuation of the Berman era. I mean, yeah. I, this is as close as it was ever going to be. Um, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it, it, it truly, is very well done. It, it is truly a, feels connected to that. Yes, uh, you can't help but constantly think of the Berman era while watching it, and yet it does feel fresh and new, um, and and feels like it's 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 moving and going and and not just. Not just fan service. Right. And I'm Ooh, passing out the wine now, so if we sound a little tipsier later in the <laughs> podcast, you know why. Yeah. But I also I also feel that like Patrick Stewart is very possibly the best actor on weekly TV right now. And I feel like in this episode the writing was also of a good enough quality to keep up with him. And uh, the the episode is very like writerly, but in a, in a good way. I know sometimes yeah. that's used as a criticism. And I I really like the the approach that they're taking here. Uh, we're getting what's obviously a, a and what they've stated is kind of a ten chapter, ten hour long movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this first episode did what it needed to do, and it really got its hooks into me. I am so no pun intended engaged <laughs> in, in what's going on, and I can already tell this is going to be a show where. Uh, every week I'm looking forward to watching it, and then when I'm watching it, I, I'm dreading getting to that end credit moment where the, the credits start. I'm like, oh no, I gotta wait a whole nother week, reset the yeah. clock. This is gonna be one of those types of shows. Yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a little tough. I have to admit, it was a part of me that was like, okay, it's over. I can finally start to process all of this it, 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 yeah. and, and talk about it. And I, there's so much I want to say because I was watching oh. it with other people. And When, when I go yeah. into something and I have any sort of a little bit of nervousness about it, sometimes when it ends, there's also a part of me that's like, whew, they made it through without dropping the ball. Yes, <laughs> yes. There, there was uh, I, I've had this thought often when I watch Star Wars movies. But if you've got something 
a franchise of some sort that is so big and so personal that it is basically effectively a religion right. to you. When you watch a new, big new chapter, yeah. that's like, oh, look, we found a fifth gospel. Right. And you're going to, if you're, you know, if you're a Christian and you, they find a fifth gospel of the Bible, you're going to have a lot of mixed feelings when you sit down yeah. and read that. And what is that going to change and yeah. how restructure like, my... Some of this stuff I might have to turn into apocryphal. And, and so, yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of... A lot of times I don't enjoy a Star Wars movie until the second viewing when I can set all... I, I can, I've done all that. I've already right. made up my mind. Now I can go You've and enjoy it. You've gone through any stages of grief it. that you need yes. to deal with. But if it's good enough, it'll just grab me and pull me right in and I forget to worry about all of that stuff. This was good enough. I totally forgot that I was, you know, having my whole world, re, uh, my whole post-Burman era rewritten or, or restructured from what I might have imagined it to be. And I was very impressed with just the quality it takes to do that to, to someone like me at this point. So, <laughs> Do we want to raise their glasses and salute? Sure, we'll go ahead and cheers to the return of Picard and yeah. the 24th century. Yeah. Engage, gentlemen. Cheers. So we're just, we're just going to go ahead and kind of break down the entire episode scene by scene. The teleplay of Remembrance was by Akiva Goldsman and James Duff. Based on a story by Akiva Goldsman and Michael Chabon and Kirsten Beyer and Alex Kurtzman and James Duff. Uh, that's like the union rules, I guess, way that you they have to phrase <laughs> that with all the uh, the amber sands. Yeah. And the episode was directed by Hanalee Elm Culpepper. I just learned I've been saying her name wrong. She also directed some Discovery episodes. Were we saying like Hanel? I always thought it was Hanel Culpepper. Yeah. But Hanalee. it's Hanalee. Okay. And uh, That's like in Puff the Magic Dragon, but not... It's a land called Hanalee. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there's also a director called Hanalee. Craziness. <laughs> and in this, in this episode that she directed... She got interviewed in the uh, After Trek. Yeah, and... Uh, no, it's called Ready, Ready Room, Room now. Yeah. But, um... The, the, the episode begins with uh, a really cool fan servicey bit of the Enterprise D. Mm-hmm. With Picard and Data playing poker and Tin Forward. And Blue Skies, which and I blue skies. loved. And actually, even before that, though, there's some uh, some sh- kind of showy Trek space shots of, like, sort of nebulae and star fields and things like that. And a uh, brief but very lovely, I, I assume, all-new rendering of a the Galaxy-class Enterprise uh, D. Would, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's a new coming, CGI model. It's, yeah, it's a little coming different. Coming into view. But... I, was, I, I was really excited to see that, and that got it off on a good foot with me. And then, yeah, we have this that scene that's right out of kind of classic, uh, many iconic sequences from uh, from Trek, but especially the last scene in it, the show. And it works as a good uh, continuation from Star Trek Nemesis, a, a movie that I think has a lot, a lot of problems in it. I don't hate it as much as a lot of people do. I know some people really like Nemesis, but that, that movie, spoilers for Nemesis, it ends with... Uh, Basically, Picard is the last person that Data sees before he sacrifices himself to save Picard and the rest of the ship. And we end on the on the the music to Blue Skies, and with a, a hint at uh, maybe a possible return for Data, but it's left kind of ambiguous. Right. It, and, it's like it would have to be through sort of the mechanism of B four. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about B four in a yeah. later. D- Data's inferior android brother. Yeah. But the the transition of going from Nemesis to this episode, Remembrance, worked so well. I was actually re-watching a lot of TNG stuff in preparation for Star Trek Picard, and the last thing I watched, literally right before I hit play on Remembrance, Wednesday night, mm-hmm. was Star Trek Nemesis. So the last thing you I had heard no was that... You was, had no knowledge it was going to link up so no. closely and like use the musical theme of Blue Skies and all that. Yeah. 
by uh, Denise Crosby's grandfather. Yes. So another yeah. direct connection. Nice. Yeah. We'll talk about this, I'm sure, more as we go through the episode, but... Uh, you know, everybody knows that, like, Nemesis was in some ways evoking Star Trek II with that sacrifice, and it's, it's hard to, you know, not say, well, nothing is gonna live up to Star Trek II. What I thought was interesting about this episode was, whatever your feelings on Nemesis, and I'm also a person who generally likes a lot of it, um, it, it kind of deepened and, and, and new, it gave it, like, nuance and weight. Yes. So that. I, I, I agree. Yeah, what it made what, what Nemesis may not, better? Yeah, what yeah. what may not have like really had all that much weight in Nemesis really does when you see how it's affected Picard yeah. and stuff like that. And that's going to be a recurring theme, I think, discussing this episode because that goes back to previous continuity, just like Michael Chabon promised they would do. I'm so glad to see this promise uh, realized. But he said that he wanted to use the existing canon, and they're they're pulling on on the strings on the the, the loose ends that were there, mm-hmm. uh, not just with Nemesis, but with some other stuff as well. Well, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. To, like uh, what I like is that it, it's not pure fan service; it actually does deepen something, yeah. so that it's uh, like it feels like meaningful canonical yeah. references. I, I don't. I never really felt the weight of Data's death in Nemesis. It it was so sloppily done that I was kind of like, all right, so when's Data coming back? Oh, oh, he's actually dead. Oh, the movie's over. Okay, he's not coming back. He's actually dead. All right. I I figured that was just a fake out because it was so poorly done. Here, I actually finally get Data's death. I finally feel it. Data's dead. In some ways, he never really was until I watched this episode. I think, let's let's do the deep dive on that when we, when uh, Vaj, is it? Uh, Goes to Dodge. <laughs> uh, goes to visit him. But in the meantime, there's a poker game to discuss. Yes. So, the, not only are they on the 10 forward set, which looks a little different than it did on TNG, but it's a dream. So things I, I look didn't a little check different. the windows. Do they actually go to 10 forward? Or I thought it was a little bit off to the yeah. port. It's the wrong window. So, th- so it's not but, 10 forward. It's some other area. It doesn't have to look like the same set. True. But they have the same, like, little uh, tea glass. It's like that TNG glass. Yeah. Um, that Picard's drinking tea out of. Like, it was probably supposed to be 10 yeah. forward. And, uh, well, they went to different windows. I think that was supposed to explain why the set didn't I, look I think identical. it was an accident. I, I think will say, I never up on that, thought but. of them as... that. They didn't play poker in 10 forward, did they? No. They always felt like they were in a private room. They went, they went to someone's quarters. Yeah. Okay. They would play games in 10 forward, though. We've, yeah. we've seen yeah. other games being played. But yeah, I mean, this was obviously so. never something that happened. It's like that weird thing you do in dreams, where it's just kind of an amalgam of all these different yeah. memories and thoughts. Yeah. Um, Data's in his nemesis uniform that he never wore on the Enterprise D. Yeah. Uh, Picard, but, I, I, like, I like when dream sequences are treated kind of like surreal. Like, like Picard's offering them like... Honey, or no, milk and sugar, like things that like Data didn't eat or drink because he didn't eat or right. drink. But, but it would be very Picardy to to offer, yeah. and so and then, in a dream it could make the, sense. And then after offering, he doesn't actually give Data any tea; he just drinks it himself. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> he was stalling because he doesn't want the game to end, and that ties yeah. into uh, Picard says later in the episode that he he doesn't like waking up from these dreams, mm-hmm. like like he feels more alive here than in his actual day to day life. Right. But there's also some cool dialogue here about, uh, and it sounded so much like something that Michael Piller would have randomly stuck in an episode of TNG to give it like those, those little character moments, the Piller filler, mm-hmm. but with Picard playing poker with Data and telling him, you have a tell. Yeah. And the way that, that they put that in. Yeah. Uh, apparently Data's tell is that he has no tell, 
And uh, when he's bluffing, he deliberately tries to fake Picard out with minor, like, dilation of the pupils or something. No, that's when he's not bluffing. When he's not bluffing. He wants him to think that he's bluffing. Yeah. And I love it because Data is like, now that you have, you know, brought this to my attention, he's like, I don't know which... Like, uh, which subterfuge or whatever yeah. to employ. Cap- Captain, I am confused about which deception to employ, I believe. <laughs> yes. Which sounds so much like something they would have wrote um, for Data back in the 80s and 90s. Yes. This, this, that sequence got this off on such a good foot with me that I was like, they would have had to screw it up pretty bad for me to lose me. Uh, but, but yeah, it was a, it was a, it's a great opening. As other people I've noted have, have noted, uh, all good things ends with Picard sitting down to play poker. This picks up with him playing poker. Yes. So it also links up to uh, all good things also. Yeah. So if you want to skip the TNG movies, which I wouldn't blame you, um, <laughs> even though I, I really like First Contact, uh, it would still connect to that kind of. Yeah. Children of Mars really doesn't work as like a prelude if you were doing like a chronological watch of, of Star Trek. It would kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what's that all yeah, about? Yeah, it would like, instead of being a bridge, it would be like, it would knock out a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like when like the bridge like comes apart in the middle and the two sides... Well, there's going to be lower decks stuffed in there too, so it's it's uh, that's yeah. after Nemesis, I believe. So. Oh, yeah. That's true. Chronological uh, viewings of Trek are going to become more complicated. It's just how it's going to be for sure but the uh, the last thing i want to mention in the scene unless one of y'all have something is that uh picard has oh, i'm sorry data has a hand of five queen of hearts yeah uh, i get the impression that might be foreshadowing something it felt very deliberate yeah i mean it did but um if nothing else it's surreal because it's a hand you cannot draw in poker but yeah, um, there's only one queen of hearts in a deck yeah they, they deliberately pointed the camera at those cards for a yeah. reason that's the that's there for a purpose. I don't know. I've heard people say, Borg Queen, but um, right. I don't know. Uh, is this the only queen, I guess, other than uh, Poe, uh, the Zahan? Thematically, yeah. based on just what we learned in the first episode, a pair of some sorts would make more sense. But yes. um, but yeah, we don't know what it, what it means yet, uh, but it probably will mean something. And then we have Mars explode in the windows, and yeah. Picard's dream <laughs> turns into a nightmare, mm-hmm. and he wakes up on the vineyard. With his uh, pup number one, yep, uh, who's uh, who's uh, very uh, attentive and, and is is right there when uh, when Picard wakes up uh, in a bit of a state. Yeah, and it's like as if the, like the dog is concerned and he tells him, I- "I'm okay, boy." He says, "I think he says I'm all right, boy." Yeah, he says that again later in the episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, we we get to see a little bit of of Picard's uh, life on on the the vineyard and. I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's, this is some of our, their first, uh, like, some really nice exterior shots. In, in, um, uh, Ready Room, the after show, they, they talk. Hosted by Will Wheaton, which is available on Facebook, YouTube, and CBS All Access. I enjoyed it and would recommend it. I, I thought they talked with the composer about the score, and they talked to the episode, the episode's director, and she mentioned that she wanted to, uh, kind of get away from Discovery's kind of cool blue colors and things like that to a sort of... Yeah, which they totally color. overuse blue on that show. And <laughs> yeah, I, I keep saying it looks yeah. so much better when they add color. Like yeah. when you have the, the Enterprise sets. Yeah, yeah the this Enterprise is, this is costumes. Like, yeah. Uh, but this, they went like a, in a warmer direction. Yeah, warmer, and I also like, I feel like there's sort of more earth tones and uh, and stuff. There's It's a vineyard palette. Um, uh, what's interesting, do you think... What's your sense of, like, Picard when he's viewing his vineyard? He doesn't seem to, like... It's not like he hates being there, but he doesn't seem to... 
I mean, it is what he's waking up to and uh, getting away from the, the the dreams he likes. Do you think he's enjoying it at all? No, it's just like it's just what he's accepted, but he's kind of detached. Yeah, from accepted it. would maybe be the way to describe. I, it. I mean, they they mentions later on. I I thought I was going to die. How did he phrase it? He had a, yeah. He, I, I'm not living. I'm waiting to die. I'm waiting to die. Yeah. I think he's. As far as waiting to die, doing, I think that's ha- that, that's a good fit. That that's what he he's okay with this as his waiting. What he does for when he's waiting to die, yeah, doing as, what's expected. Yeah, as soon as he decides he doesn't want to wait to die, I think he's like, screw this. But, but <laughs> the, the vineyard does look beautiful, and they they add a little bit more to it than what we saw in All Good Things or uh, Family. There's like mechanized uh, little irrigation, drums. yeah, watering yeah. and stuff. He's got these robots running around taking care of it all just to piss off his brother. You know he is dead brother. He's like, yeah! Oh, yeah. His dad and his brother are like flipping in their graves as he uses robots to take care of his vineyard. That's an interesting point. <laughs> he's still got a little bitterness built yeah, up. Yeah, he's certainly not doing it the old way. We Father also, Picard would not approve. We also see multiple people like walking around there. A few, yes. Tending the grapes. <laughs> yeah, it's but, not... But yeah, I like how the locations now... All these... All these uh, External shots of locations look really good. They're gonna but, they're gonna be gracing uh, like uh, Wikipedia or Memory Alpha entries for, for forever now as like <laughs> the key lo- versions of a lot of these locations. The Daystrom Institute and some of the other the Federation yeah. archives or Starfleet archives. Uh, so, um, uh, but yeah, he uh, we cut to Boston. Yes, and we this is where we're introduced a more down to earth to, to our new character Dodge. And uh, she's with a Zahian boyfriend, so same species as Poe from Discovery. Yep. And Dodge herself is a uh, dark-haired young woman who's probably she's like postgraduate. I wasn't uh, someone she, who she knows was accepted more at the Daystrom Institute as, as, a, as a, a fellow, as a fellow. But I don't know much about higher education. I'm more of a K through twelve type person. <laughs> so, so what does a fellow mean? I actually. I don't know. Like, is she a student? Is she going to work there? Is it even a... Is the Daystrom Institute a school, or is it just like a, like, research Like a think group? tank yeah. kind of thing? Um, Apparently none of us know. Yeah, no. none of us know. So let's just move on. Let's just move on. Just nobody <laughs> pay attention. I, I did like that they had a call out to Discovery by the, the boyfriend, the choice of species for the boyfriend. Yes. Because I, I think that's the biggest Discovery call out. And if you haven't watched Discovery, it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, he, this guy's an alien. He's called a yep. Zahian. Yeah. Yep. You can look it up on Memory Alpha if They you care. seem natural together. I like their sort of couple's dialogue, uh, which, of course, uh, rapidly falls apart when they are suddenly attacked by... What, what we later learn are <laughs> Romulans, but right. they're, they're masked and they're kept mysterious. And what I thought was really cool was, uh, we still don't know anything about them after watching the episode, but one of them is speaking an alien dialect that we can assume is Romulan, and then another one says, no, speak English, because like, they don't want anyone to like know that they're Romulans. Right. So I, thought I, that was I a- did think when I, they show the hilt of the knife sticking out of the boyfriend... I was like, that looks like those Romulan knives from Nemesis. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm reading too much into this. Uh, Just calm down. You're, you're, you're seeing things everywhere. Well, Just relax. Did, but did, I was right. Did so you also nice. notice that Dodge and the boyfriend were drinking wine before sure. the attack happens? Yes. Oh. So there's a, a whole wine connection there. Yes. Nice. Oh, and um, we get to see the, uh, the holographic interface on the replicator. It was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, that's true. But, we uh, see that also when... Um, or I guess we see Picard uh, order some some Earl Grey later. Yeah, on. but his is a little different, and I'll, I'll talk about that when we get to it. We also see the the flower that Dodge will uh, mention later in the episode, but it's uh, Ocidaceae Dodge 
Oncidium, I believe is what she called it. Which was the... Like the scientific name for it. Yeah, the the pink and yellow flower. Yeah, it's, a, it's like some sort of a hybrid, right? Which kind of becomes kind of a... Um, Thematic relevance. Yeah, for some... That, that we'll, we'll touch on when we get to it, but... Um, we this, don't... Is a, this is a big action scene, though, like, because they, like, say... One of those guys murmurs, like, she hasn't activated yet. Which we don't know what that means. Yeah. And, and we, then she suddenly starts kicking the shit out of them. And they're asking her <laughs> things like, uh, how many, where are you from? How many of you are there? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, they're, they're planning a lot of mysteries here that we will hopefully get big payoffs to. And I think, do they actually say when she starts fighting him, like, she's activating? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think triggered was the word they used, yeah. but yes. Uh, they said activate. Did they? Okay. Yeah. Triggered's a loaded word. Yeah. That's, uh, that would get memed <laughs> okay. endlessly on the internet. <laughs> But uh, then we cut to our Picard opening credit sequence. It's it's not exactly what I prefer in Star Trek, but it makes sense for this show. It's sort of like this tumbling fragmentation theme of, of, of like different things, uh, which ultimately it has a lot in common with the Discovery thing, with some of its imagery, with Discovery's uh, opening. But ultimately you see that these small pieces are tumbling into and form Picard's face, as if like the pieces well, of him... the end of it when you get the reveal of... Right. But you, you also see, like, grapevines and Borg cube imagery. And right, like, some stuff's very specifically like from this season. DNA that might be replicating. Yeah, I or, wonder if that's supposed to be, like, the cyborg synth, you know, DNA and stuff. That yeah, they're there's going to be a lot, more, bodies. a lot more stuff about synthetics and, um, yeah, artificial intelligence. I'm so going to have to redo the credits every season, I'm pretty sure. Probably so. <laughs> well, they... Well, yeah, they added new stuff on Discovery for season yeah, two. But, so. I want him to randomly throw in, uh, is it, um, is it Baylock? Baylor? Well, what's the, uh, what's the weird Oh, his, his, uh, his little avatar from the Carbamite Maneuver. Carbamite Maneuver, yeah. I just want that <laughs> for no reason to just show no, up. You, like, gotta, <laughs> you gotta put that in the end credits. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the end credits is where it belongs. Um, uh, one thing I thought was interesting in, um, in Ready Room that they mentioned was that they, they talked to the composer and the composer composer did mention that this this being sort of a journey and to, to like, uh, you know, I, I recommend just watching that to see what his thoughts were as far as like what he what was going through his mind and what he, the small emotional journey he wants to take you on, much of it having to do with Picard himself. But like specifically they mentioned that he used the, a flute. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a piccolo in there yeah. that I, I was... Hoping they would do that, that they would use a flute in the opening credits. To reflect the... Uh, the, what, the flute from the inner light. Yeah. flute from the inner light. Um, and much like how I feel like this version of Picard is a natural maturation of the John Luke we used to know, and how this show is kind of a maturation of TNG, mm-hmm. and uh, again with like the wine theme, I, I feel that like this music is kind of a maturation from a lot of the old Jerry Goldsmith stuff. And they even use some of those cues in this episode. Right. There's one in particular that we're going to get to when I talk about the Easter eggs that I really, really love. Yeah, you caught a super deep cut, but if nothing else, they uh, a, few, a few times they evoke the classic bum, 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 yeah. uh, next generation Which, theme from Ghostbusters. Or originally the motion picture. Originally the motion picture, but yeah, probably most iconic as, of course, is next generation. But For yeah, sure. And, and it's, and, and, you know, I, I think there's no next generation fan that can fail to find themselves stirred a little bit when they hear that. So it's a, it's a nice little subtle, subtle note in there. And then coming back from the credits, we cut back to Picard on the vineyard and we get to see number one, his dog running mm-hmm. around there. Yep. 
He's going to be like a visual scene stealer in every scene he's in because he's delightful. Well, people love dogs. Yeah. I, I do like that they were able to, by you just through the choice of dog, also add another layer of social commentary to it all. Uh-huh. With so, the whole controversy about the that breed of dog. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, of course, Patrick Stewart's a particular advocate for them. And I've noticed uh, some of just in like my own friends circles and things like that, more a lot of pit bull advocacy in like the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I think that people are really going out of their way to sort of rehabilitate the image. I myself have like bumped into at least two or three in the last five, six years. And they've all been sweethearts. Uh, you know, they really, it really does seem like a... Un- unjustly uh, deserved reputation uh, yeah. that they got as the as the killer dogs of the I mean, 1980s. I mean, I, I grew up with a couple of pit bulls, and I've always liked that breed. But I, I kind of just enjoy bulldogs of any type in general. Yeah. Um, I do have one friend who is a uh, pretty big Trekkie. She's uh, she she frequently watches all the different shows, and she's like a total like stereotypical Austin white girl dog mom, mm-hmm. and uh, she has a pit bull and. And I, I'm sure that like, awesome. like having this character number one on the show here is going to be a big treat for her. Yeah. Uh, so that's cool. For sure. Uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think. Picard, did he ever talk about pets in the on the TV show? No. He seemed like a guy who probably fish. was. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he had a who fish. was a little bit kind of cold in what Livingston. He, yeah, Livingston. In what in, in his appreciation of pets, and that sort of felt fitting for him. And I think that oh, you know the. Even though we know he's in somewhat of a melancholy place right now, he did for sure grow in his time on the show, and I think you know gain a certain warmth that he absolutely did not have in episode one, and and so you know although I know this is also like because Patrick Stewart wanted it, I think it's a kind of a it ends up being a nice fit and a somewhat a surprising fit for the character to have something so endearing and human as a dog. It feels... Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a nice little surprise. So, number one, he brings a dead bird to Picard. <laughs> yeah. And Picard's telling him in French, you can't bring that into the house. And I like that he's talking to the dog in French. I, I Do love... Do ever see Picard talk in French in general? Very little. Very seldom. Yeah. Um, normally, if he's just saying, like, one particular word or phrase or something... Uh, so this, I, I would love to see it as a recurring thing that he frequently talks to the dog in French. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like the dog, they, they even refer to him as our little assassin cause he, <laughs> he has this dead bird, but I feel like that might be an analog for Dodge and how like this thing who's actually like real cute and sweet and friendly can actually be lethal for sure. Do you, do you think the dog is going to be a major player through the series? No. Or is Picard going to go off adventuring and leave the dog behind? So that, that is going to... They've said that's going to happen. Oh, okay. Yeah, I actually thought it would be kind of cool if, if the pup came along, but uh, it does... It would probably be irresponsible if this is going to be a dangerous <laughs> mission to be bringing... And Patrick Stewart is like the total big dog lover that he is now. He said that he loved working with this actor dog whose name is De Niro, yeah. IRL. <laughs> um, but... He would like to work with them in season two, but he's not sure if, like, the dog would like the sets that they're on if they're not going to be on the vineyard. So he only wants to do that if the dog is going to enjoy it. <laughs> That's legit. Uh, Patrick Stewart's a great guy. He is he is the uh, the best of us. I did like Ready Room's comments about what it was like to film with the dog. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. then we, we meet two Romulan characters that are living on the vineyard with Picard. Mm-hmm. Zabon and Laris... I really like them. They're very likable. Yeah. They have, uh, like, in Batman, they ha- how Alfred always has, in, if you read the comics, and sometimes in the, I guess in the movies too, especially probably Michael Caine, 
uh, his version, has a dry sense of humor and sort of is always taking a little, kind of little loving knocks at, uh, at his, uh, I feel it's weird to say master, uh, employer. That is weird how they kind of come off as like servants to Picard. Yeah. If um, else that's they a are... role they chose for themselves after what Picard did for them. What's interesting that was is what I read into It's it. not explained, but like we, we will rapidly learn, of course, of what he, how important he is to Romulan refugees. And, uh, yeah, I, I really like both the characters. They're instantly likable. They seem very close to him. If any of them turned out to be, like, betrayers or something, if they're I like don't think is going to happen, then I will be extremely agent. sad. Well, we, yeah. we do get a glimpse of them in the Picard Countdown comic. So if All you'd right. like to know more, read that. Even though the third issue is not out yet like it was supposed to be. Yeah, that's a bit of an oops there. Yeah, because comics run late all the time. Yeah. And if you're a comic reader, you just have it to It deals a lot that. with the events on, or like at least somewhat with the events of the evacuation, Mars, and things like that. So you'll get some little secret insights into that. If yes. You... But Picard is doing an interview for the FNN, the yeah. Federation News Network. I, I, I always, like, uh, as y'all know, I'm a fan of, uh, fan of Generations, um, but... I don't like the uh, the newscast per se, or the way it's portrayed, which is like almost this kind of satirical spoofery of like all the microphones in Kirk's face and that. And I kind of don't like that there's just sort of a straight up, for lack of a better word, CNN uh, space news thing. But uh, but if they're going to do it, I thought that this scene moved the story along nicely and was well handled and was not nearly so caricature-ish as Generations. Uh, even if the reporter did do an ambush interview. Yeah, this reporter is an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, I thought it was an excellent way to do an info dump, though. It is. The, the, the basic premise, she's supposed to be interviewing him about, uh, what was it? Well, ostensibly, they're supposed to be there to talk about the, it's the anniversary of the Romulus. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. The, the anniversary of the uh, supernova. Right. That wiped out a bunch of planets in the Romulan Empire. Right. You might remember it from such movies as Star Trek 2009. Yes. It's the uh, Nero's motivation. Yes. And so here's another thing where they're taking something that was... And I think it's fair to say a half-baked plot point from Star Trek 09. Yeah. Like, clearly the movie didn't want to focus on that story. They just needed a pissed-off mm-hmm. bad guy who wanted revenge. Because yeah. uh, most of the movies after the... From from Nemesis onward have to do, like, their version of, like, a con clone. Right. Yeah. So uh, they didn't really flesh that out. That wasn't Star Trek 09's agenda. That wasn't what they were trying to do. But here, like, much like they're doing with Nemesis... They're taking something from Star Trek 09 and exploring that more yeah. and adding some depth to it. Yeah. On some level, I sort of wish they had, like, and I don't think they'll probably get around to it, actually, at this point, uh, explained a little bit about, like, the weird mechanics of how a star will threaten multiple star systems, you know, like, in a instantaneous span of time. Uh well, but, when Praxis blew up, there was a subspace shockwave, so yeah. a star blows up. I guess yeah, I think, and I get that it's not, it's not necessarily something that moves stories forward, and so... Um, you put that on your list. That's one of the top ten things you want. It's one of the things Picard I wanted. One. I think they're going to jump past it. They might touch on it more. They did know. sort of imply that it was the star in the Romulus star system that well, was they, exploding. They said the Romulan star. Yeah. But they didn't say the Romulus star. Yeah, so yeah. I think anything within the Romulan star empire can be referred to as a Romulan star. Yeah. Like if Fair someone enough. had said a federation... Or, no, no, they call it the Romulan sun. Yeah. But like any, I feel like any star in the federation could be referred to as a federation sun. 
So, um, so Picard, let's talk about Picard's role and what happened afterwards. Yeah, because we get a lot of backstory here. This is where we learned that uh, Picard had to talk the Federation into lending aid to the to the Romulans. Uh, they, Which, after the events of Nemesis, makes a perfect sense. Yeah, yeah they, they promote him to Admiral and make him be in charge of this. He gets, uh, they said, 10,000 warp fairies in order to evacuate 900 million Romulan citizens. So we're talking many multiple worlds and things like that. Uh, Actually, like, 900 million is not that many people. It's not, um, like, but we, I think we they have are... a shitload more than that on Earth. The comic, yeah. at least, though, did indicate that there were lots of colonies. A bunch of colony worlds. Colony well, worlds. One would presume the Romulans are also undertaking their own evacuation effort. It's just somebody yeah. crunched the numbers and said, we have nowhere near enough ships to get all of these people, and we need help. Yeah, uh, and, and hey, you know how we nearly blew up your planet Earth a few years ago? Could you help us out now? <laughs> the reporter uh, pokes at him a little bit by saying, like, oh, there were some who said that, you know, uh, that these were, you know, that those 900 million were Romulan lives. And she definitely, you know, there's a suggestion that they are lesser. And he says 900 million lives. Uh, yes. Um, which he's is a very quintessentially Picard. He's the humanitarian. It's mm-hmm. one of like many lines he will have throughout the whole episode that are quintessentially Picard. And I'm so happy that they were able to have lines that made me think they get it throughout. Yeah. And that was one of the first big ones. And this is also where we learned that the the Mars attack that was carried out by the rogue sense we, we learned about in Children of Mars, that that killed 92,143 people. And because of that, Starfleet called off the evacuation because I guess they thought that they had their their hands full dealing with that. And, and well, also they like literally like lost ships. I assume many yeah. many many ships. Well, they're they're core shipyards. The um, the appearance of a discovery ship at the shipyard in Children of Mars makes a lot more sense if Starfleet is grabbing every ship out of their their scrapyards that is still remotely serviceable and trying to fix it up to to go pick up Romulans. So they're like, we got this ship that's 130 years old. Do you think it can make it fly in under in under two days? Yes. Well then drag it out. Let's get it going. Yeah. So <laughs> and, and Picard makes the direct analogy to To Dunkirk. Right. Which I don't think is a fair comparison because Dunkirk was a bunch of civilian ships evacuating exclusively military personnel. Do we know if there were, do we know if there were civilian ships? They, I mean, they didn't really get around to it in the interview, but Picard brings it up, um, and, uh. I would assume that there would be civilians who would volunteer to join and help with this effort, and there's no reason why Starfleet or the Romulans would say no to that. Right. But and this is where we also learn that in these recent decades, after Picard leaves Starfleet because they disappointed him in not going through with this evacuation, but he has he has become a historian. So that ties into him, you know, kind of like living in the past. He's got like his head focused on on the past and the former. Uh, I don't want to say glory because he's not that vain, but the the former uh, meaningfulness yeah. that he used to have in his life. But he's lost that right. And later on in the episode, near the end. He'll, he'll, like, when he's kind of, uh, really kind of, um, castigating himself for his, uh, for his life, uh, for, 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 you know, kind of sitting here wasting his time, uh, he will, he, he will perhaps, re- reflecting this sequence, say that he was writing about history that people wanted to forget, I think. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, it's just interesting. There's definitely, uh, 
This is a Picard who's a little, uh, who, who does not have time for those who, uh, forget history. But I think that's yeah. probably how a lot of people feel when they get older. Is like, for sure. Like, no, like, how do I make you understand? Like, you weren't there. Like, you didn't, yeah. you don't, you don't know the past. Yeah. Like, you need to listen to this. I did want to say one thing I loved about this was that, yes, Picard's a little broken and has kind of lost his mojo, but he's still functional. He's, he talks about doing lectures. He's writing books. Right. He, he says he's a big, they imply, basically say he's a big proponent for helping the Romulans. Even today, yeah. he's he, doing this interview to help the Romulan right. survivors. He's an advocate for awareness. Yeah. He did not shut down. He's not just making one. He, he didn't become pathetic. Yeah. 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 He may be like not the, the person he could be, he could live up to. Yeah. Uh, but, but yes, yeah, that's, and that's a good balance to find. Yeah. I think that was, I think that's, that's good on the writers. That's yes. A, it's a good place for him to land. It, it, it's so much easier to, oh, well, we'll just have him be as broken as Luke on Octo Island or something. No, right. they don't. They say he wouldn't be that broken. And right. I, the, the nuance, the subtlety, that's something I really appreciated. For sure. I also want to say the interview was my favorite scene in this episode. It was very well directed and edited and acted there's a sense yes. of sort of rising tension yes. and yes. and like rep like it's almost like a fencing match between them where she's getting in these jabs and he doesn't want to rise to it but eventually he's gonna he he, he lunges oh yeah and he, he kind of exposes himself and and it bre- the interview breaks down as he says what's really troubling him which is that uh in the end of in the end when the federation wanted to pull out of the relief effort, he felt that they were not the Federation he knew. It was also the the destroying or getting dis- banning all all the synths as well. Right. That was another sticking point for him as well. Right. But uh the way he said it it wasn't what was it? It wasn't Starfleet anymore. Yeah. That yeah. that was like that was the moment I was like, my God, this is... If anyone other than Patrick Stewart had said that line, I probably wouldn't buy it, but I completely <laughs> buy it coming from Patrick Stewart. This is going to get repurposed by anybody who doesn't like Discovery and all of this stuff. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's not Starfleet anymore. Uh, uh, I'm sure. But if Picard says it, it must be true. If Picard says it, it must be true. Yes. Well, then we get Picard and Dodge meet face-to-face after she sees his image on the news. And... She literally wanders onto his vineyard. The dog comes up and barks at her. Uh, um, but but is, is is cute afterwards. And the bu- dog does not go nuts as if she's a Terminator with uh, <laughs> yeah. With I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> but Picard even has that line, and it's kind of cute when he says, uh, "If well, if you were dangerous, number one would have let me know." Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, basically, Terminator doing the same eggs. job that uh, that Riker used to do. <laughs> <laughs> if you were dangerous, Riker would have uh, let me know. <laughs> Well, Worf thought everything was dangerous. <laughs> yeah, no, but Troy had they the, clearly paid attention to him. Troy yes. had the empathic abilities to yeah. someone would like lock on phasers, and then Troy would be like, "I sense hostile intent." <laughs> Thanks yeah. a lot, Captain Obvious. Really, uh, number one, uh, the dog is clearly doing all the heavy lifting. Now. Yes, he's the entire crew. Yeah. Uh, now she shows up and she's distraught. And one of the things I liked and that Patrick Stewart, I think, really brought to this and will in some of the subsequent scenes really bring out is this extreme sense of empathy. He instantly is like, are you okay? What can I do for you? You seem, uh, like he, he wants to like, like, like he doesn't hug her, but he comes as close as a reserved Frenchman can. <laughs> he hugs her with his words. Yes. And, uh, and I really liked that about it. Uh, because he's, he's, he's sort of like, uh, to, well, he, to, he's to re- borrow he's from receptive. Ghostbusters, we're ready to believe you. 
Yeah. He, he, yeah, he's, he's receptive to her. Yeah. And, and, and she had, like, an instinctive drive to, like, seek him out. She like, actually... She literally, like, had, like, almost a little vision yeah. of a flash she of got his glimpses face. of him. And, and this is going to be one of the central driving mysteries. Why did she, why did that happen? Why is she drawn to him? Um, and, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's clearly ready to believe her. On a very minor criticism, I did sort of feel like... I kind of would have, like, this is something they would have done on Next Generation. He would have said, like, well... You know, have you, are you telepathic? Do you have any, you know, empathic abilities? Do you, did you get, are you a precog? I kind of would have liked to have known some of those things, but I realized that they don't necessarily always operate on that sort of level of crunch. Well, they had also, they, we didn't see the whole conversation. You can headcanon that those right. questions were asked. If you I, I actually am glad they didn't waste time on yeah, that. Yeah, so. you know. Maybe so. They, um, but I, they fast forward to him, like, they're, like, talking over, like, tea and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, drinking, drinking the Earl Grey. Right. Yes. Which, he, I, I noticed he requested decaf. Yeah, because <laughs> old people shouldn't drink much caffeine. Yeah. Yes. But, uh... Oh, you know, th- 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 I'm going to use that as an opportunity to just quick mention... This show, this is a small but the nice thing. It acknowledges his that he is older, uh, and I really and I like that. And then they do it in several ways throughout. A, I sort of feel like the two Romulan caretakers are almost like sort of assisted living. They're clearly employees, but they somewhat function as assisted living yeah. helpers. Yeah, they're helping uh, him get dressed. Right, his, yeah. they're they're helping him get like his tie on for the his, interview. His his uh, his dog, if nothing else, is there to support him. Um, but he also, like, in later scenes, uh, that they're sort of more action-y scenes, he is not the action hero. He's winded. Unlike and... the TNG movies. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. not gonna He's be... not Doom Buggy Man. In a, in, a, in a tank top with a phaser rifle climbing around <laughs> on railings. And around yeah. what, what, I love, what I love to do with Star Trek is take all these different things that different, different creatives have done over the years and see if you can weave them together and tie them together. And it's also really awesome when the creatives try to do that themselves. And, and it you, functions as like a, as a working narrative yeah. of a life. And even though like, you know, a lot of this wasn't intended, but you can definitely view Picard as, uh, you know, he was the stargazer captain and he became the enterprise captain and he wanted to, you know, be the, the captainy guy out there. But then when his family died in generations, that kind of, broke him and then like he met kirk and kirk tells him you know you need to stay in that chair and, and he wanted to and, sow some wild oats yeah and it, it kind of made him like have like a i guess like he's probably a little old for a midlife crisis at that point but, but you would have a older midlife crisis in star trek's yeah. longer lived future and then he's he's got he's he, he tried to be more more youthful and then he became like the action hero and first contact insurrection and nemesis but then here this is after he became an admiral, had all this stuff going on with the synths and the Romulans, and now he... He's an is, older scholar. He's finally become, like, like the old, old man. Yeah. Uh, what what I do think is good is that, although there's it's it's, it's tinged with melancholy, uh, at no point is he, like, again, pathetic or anything yeah. like that. Uh, and, 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 and in fact... It's not like Logan, where, like, he can't go to the bathroom without Hugh Jackman <laughs> helping him. <laughs> right. He, he has a strength of, of empathy, which, like, he leads with, in all of these scenes, and I still, and, and I watch them and I say, yes, that's Picard. That is the strength I like to see in Picard. And it's a reminder that strength is not literally physical strength in Star Trek. It's so much more. I do have one complaint here, though, with the conversation on the, the patio with the tea. Yep. And that is, uh, when they, when he, Picard says, oh, that's an unusual necklace or something like that, I'm like, well, that necklace is gonna be a MacGuffin for something. Hmm. For sure. I mean, if nothing else, by the end of the episode, they, um, 
uh, they already uh, resolved that. They resolve it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if there will be anything more to be say about it. Maybe it's got a hidden compartment, but but they do. They don't uh, dangle it for too long. It's uh, weird that she obviously like keeps that with her at all times. Uh huh. But then like this is the one time when she chose to leave it somewhere because she leaves it with them. That's but I true. guess like if you thought like uh, these alien assassins were chasing you, you might make some unusual choices. She's also clearly programmed in some way to trust Picard on a level that goes beyond rationality. That's true. And the fact that you say programmed will come around in just a minute. Yes. So shall we, <laughs> what yes. else do we have going well, on here? This is um, this is when we get the other dream with Data painting the painting. Right. We get the cool TNG era uniforms, which I never thought we would see on Patrick Stewart yeah. or Brent Spiner ever again. Yeah. Y'all okay with how Brent Spiner looks? There was endless memeing and jokes about him being a little... A little puffy, not quite looking 100% like Data well, the, in 1993 or that, whatever. I mean, that was before they did the CGI work. And yeah. It, it looks a lot better now than it did in the trailers. In fact, I'm glad that we got think, that stuff because now we get to enjoy the uh, the digital improvement they did. Yes. The thing I, to me is he, he registered as Data. Like, and I don't mind. I, I really don't worry about the, the details on that. I was like, I felt like Picard was talking to Data and that's the important thing. Well, and it's a dream too. Yes. So like you can look weird in dreams. I, I had assumed what we were going to get were holodeck recreations for these little clips we'd seen in the trailers. Yeah. But as dreams, the fact that Data's age, physical age is more towards Nemesis and less toward the uniform that he's wearing right. is fine. It's all... Picard also looks older. It's all kind the, of a mishmash. The two scenes that they teased with Data, we have now watched within the first episode. Yes. Right. So for all we know, we're not going to see Brent Spiner yeah. again. I, that, I, I guess... I think we will. I think, <laughs> I think there'll be more I, dreams. He seems to be having a lot of these dreams. I don't, I don't think. I don't think we're going to see a lot more of this. I think there's going to be maybe like one or two more like big payoff things, maybe towards like the yeah. end of the season. Father, yeah. you and I messaged a little about this. I generally don't like random precognitive dreams, even if they sometimes tie into thematics of a sh- uh, of a story. Yeah, yeah, it's weird if people are like predicting the future in their dreams, right? Yeah. Like, like sometimes it's neat because it's like, oh, it just makes everything the tapestry seem to weave together as a story. Yeah, like, um, but yeah, if Picard, like, unless you know, like, I would feel a little better if I found out that, oh yeah. Uh, you didn't know it, but like some flash of lights that Data did at some point actually imparted some information. You didn't know you were going to need one day, and now you need, and it's activating or something like that. I'd probably be a little happier with that. I hope he doesn't get too precognitive. I no, do- I don't. I don't think that there's something that they're going to do much. I, Unless it's like something like the Borg or sending signals to him, or yeah, well, uh, that's what I wondered because I was, like, was doing it or he, something like he's, that. He's he apparently starts dreaming about Data right before. This this descendant of data comes into right. his life, and I thought that's convenient. And the only other team, time we've seen da- Picard having precog dreams was when the Borg were involved, and there do seem to be a Borg component here. Is yeah. there more to this, or are we just supposed to ignore that? I mean, that... and that I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, but yeah. but he dreams about a painting that Data was doing. The Data asks him to complete. He says he can't, and then Data says, "What does he say? I think you." I think you're mistaken. Uh, well, that dream made more sense because by then he was like, where have I seen this woman before? Oh, right. in that painting I looked yeah. at. And so that's why I'm dreaming about the guy making the painting. Right. But the first data dream is seems to be unjustified in the context of the, the story. Yeah. But this, this is what motivates them to go to the uh, Starfleet Archive Museum in San Francisco. 
Which right. is just, you store it for Starfleet personnel. You just, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I got all this junk, I don't want it in my little chateau. So. <laughs> I, I like the idea of the quantum archive. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we get a little, we get a digital uh, um, assistant, I guess you'd call it. a. Uh, yeah, the archive hologram. Yeah, yeah it's kind of fun. Uh, she's a little, got a little bit of dry humor herself. Yeah, a little bit of EMH in there. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Again, you know, using the continuity. They're, yep. they're borrowing an element from Star Trek Voyager. They they, at no point do they literally mention the medical hologram, but yes, it's, it's, it obviously ties into that sort of personality. The same way you would expect droids in Star Wars to have a little bit of personality or snark or whatever. Uh, yeah, the, the the holograms uh, and, yeah, and Star Trek have a little personality there's, too. There's so many Easter eggs in the Picard's little personal storage unit the, mm-hmm. the, in the Quantum Archive. Oh, yeah. We'll we'll go over all the things that I noticed and uh, the, the a lot of the items that we saw in there. A lot of these Picard artifacts, like they were on display at the Picard Museum that they set up at uh, San Diego Comic Con last year, and also I got to see personally. At Star Trek Las Vegas. Right. That's pretty cool. You have essentially seen the stuff that is in Picard's uh, archive at Star, uh, you know, the um, Starfleet archives. That's pretty cool. Uh, but the key thing is, of course, he uh, there's a second version of a painting in there that he's got right. at home of a cloaked woman uh, along a seashore. Kind of the sort of stuff that Data did sort of, I think, paint uh, when he was doing he, his... He painted in a few different styles. Right. But... Um, but uh, as where she is like in the one that Picard has it is at has at his home she has a kind of her her hood hood pulled up you can see her clear clearly see her face and in this one which he did not remember or didn't remember completely and it is Dodge uh, it is clearly her yeah and it's called daughter right <laughs> so this is kind of a connect- connection to Data's attempt at offspring in the episode the offspring yeah, right when he actually made a daughter yep. yeah uh, named Law but um. I, I'll touch more on that uh, later, but yeah, th- this did seem like a little contrived to me where he's like, oh, I have one painting that's kept uh, a mystery on the face, but wait, don't I have another painting? And he goes to that and he's like, oh, aha, that's her. And it's, it seems like... Yeah. Little... I know that like Van Gogh and other like, all these famous artists do do variations on themes, but it was a little odd on like, Data gave you two almost the same paintings. Like I, it seems ready-made yeah, to my, be a clue. I, yes. As I was discussing with Father E earlier... I had a fan headcanon theory for that, that, that Data probably painted a ridiculous number of paintings over his life, like Bob Ross or something, and he had like a cargo bay full of them. Yeah. And when they went to loot his room after a nemesis, there was like, everyone took a few paintings, and then there was like, you know, a hundred of them left over, and Picard's like, well, I don't want to throw out Data's pa- I'll take the rest of the right. paintings. Even and, Morph's got a painting somewhere. Yeah, yeah well, we, we've seen Morph get a painting, I yeah. think. But, but uh, so that that's why he has this painting that he doesn't know the name of and he only vaguely remembers right. is because there's actually digitally stored there like a hundred data paintings that he's looked it at it makes some years sense ago. like um so. uh, because yeah i was wondering like these are mostly things that like picard day banners and things like that that you would have some emotional resonance with him and i'm like why would he not know the name of a painting well, that, that the, he the, has the painting is digitally stored all the stuff he really cares about, he keeps as a physical that's item. True, that's he true. digitally stores the stuff that he's less attached to, like right. perhaps a hundred data paintings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyway, so yes, he realizes he's like, "Whoa, data!" Like uh, was trying to uh, like tell him something about this. So, so what? Uh, what do we discern? Data was trying to tell him something, or rather, another character who will be named shortly used that as the model. 
Which is interesting that how did that character get a hold of that painting? Yeah. Or see a picture of it. But that's true. Maybe yeah. Data Facebooks all his paintings or something. Or Instagrams <laughs> but all But the does ask, he, he does ask the, the hologram, he's like, has anybody been in here? No. Uh, so, so there's definitely a sense that people haven't gotten to it, although... Yeah, that's true. They do sort of emphasize that nobody else yeah. has gotten to look at it. They made a point about it, so, yeah, which suggests right. that, uh, it, which would suggest Data's hand in the plot yes. point we're going to be coming to in just a second. Yes, as if Data had some type of intent here. Maddox is carrying out Data's plan. Well, we haven't gotten to, to, to Maddox yet. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Okay, right. You're jumping ahead. But, uh, we... Have Dodge and another cool establishing shot of future Paris. Yep, where she's talking to a hologram of her mother. Yeah, she's she's like like pulled her up like on her phone basically. Yeah, yeah through like this holographic interface. I did like the holographic interface on the thing. I also liked how it held perfectly still, even though her body and hands were shaking. It's yeah. like nice. That's some good tech. But then something <laughs> kind of creepy happens. Or yeah, it's a little weird. Where the, the the mom is is talking about information, like oh you should go back to Picard. And she's like oh well I never told you I went to Picard. But she's like, oh, no, you should go back but to Picard. You right, she's like, of course me. you told me. You, you, yeah. you mentioned that. So there's outside forces that have some type of influence on Dodge. And it, we, she is somehow able to hack into Starfleet security, find Picard in San Francisco, go to him. And Picard starting to put the pieces together that she might be Data, uh, like a, another attempt of Data to create a child. Right. And that... Uh, when when she starts to freak out, like, oh my god, that's why all this weird stuff is happening to me. I'm a freak. I'm not real. Right. To her, synthetics are the things that destroyed Mars and yeah. are a terrifying uh, element of their times. Uh, she does not want to be associated with them, and she she panics. But he he uses the the flower analogy of like you have this beautiful memory of a father who created this this flower for you that was something that was. Uh, lovely and intentional. And I think if Data actually is your father, that's what he meant for you. It's, it's one of the key scenes for me as far as like Picard's empathy reaching out and, and, and the ties to Nemesis where Picard, Data's sacrifice, he, and which he explains to her clearly meant so much to him that he is now like, he's her ride or die. He's like, I will help you through this, whatever it is. We're going to figure out who you are. We're going to figure out what's going on. And if you're connected to this, you know, if you're the daughter of my friend who sacrificed his life for me, then I'm there for you every second. And and I really appreciated that from Picard. I thought that was really cool. But they clearly don't want the show about a senior citizen to get too boring. So right here, they decide to throw in another action sequence. The uh, masked attackers uh, uh, have chased her down to San Francisco. She drags... John Luke Picard up all these flights of stairs on top of a building, yeah. and then proceeds to beat the ass out of these guys who are revealed to be Romulans. It is a, it is what I would call an A-list movie level choreographed fight. There is one She's... moment I didn't like when she does like that really fake looking CGI jump. No, that was dope. It, it, <laughs> no, that that it looked terrible. No, you're terrible. Come on, for Star Trek, like this is actually in a way like. It's kind of how I wanted when Data would fight the Borg or something like that, and he would have to kind of go into the combat mode. I sort of always. No, I like wished... the idea. I just thought the effect looked shit. Eh, I think shit is an exaggeration. I thought it looked good. That's why that they they kept like the camera so like zoomed out, so like you oh, didn't really see it. It looked good. These are like even all if the you other dismissed, effects are good. All the other effects are good. That, but that was one that I ninety percent of this fight is fucking dope. Okay, yeah. but the mo- and I liked it. No, I, I liked it. I just think that one effect looked bad. She she is moving. It was distractingly bad. Like you know, like she yeah, like is one with the force. 
Well, like you were saying earlier, like lightning seeking ground. Yeah. Which, uh, when I saw that, I was like, damn, Dave is probably going to complain that that sounded too writerly. It did sound a little writerly. <laughs> I won't lie. I won't lie. I like, but, the, I like the writerly dialogue. My thought was, oh, last time we had mysterious lightning, Nero showed up in space. <laughs> <laughs> lightning storm in space. Yes. Man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but here's the thing, because in general the dialogue was good, and, and, and I, I liked, you know, I'm okay with a, a poetic turn of phrase that, that might not necessarily perfectly fit a character, uh, and so it was not a, it was not like a big issue, but I did notice it. <laughs> I, I did think that whole sequence really was, was well executed on a, on a sort of a deceptive level. I'm like, oh, okay, we, we've got old Picard who, who knows the ropes and knows how to deal with these things. And then there's the young mutant has shown up and found her Charles Xavier and, and they're going to go on the run together from society and he's going to help her out. Oh, look, and there's a big fight and she's going to use her mutant power. Oh, she's dead. Yeah. Holy shit. Unlike, I, um, I, I, oh, wow. Okay. Unlike River, and it would be like if River, after her first big action sequence in Firefly, got killed. Yeah, yeah. And because... I was like, well, I was worried this was a little too derivative of the X-Men movies, which I loved, <laughs> so I was going to be okay with it, but I guess that's not going to be a problem. But for the record, I, uh, as a longtime comic reader, am not convinced of her death. Um, I, uh, there was a, so yeah, one of the Roblins she was fighting after, while he's like on his, uh, on his way out, he spits like this acid, like yeah, he, as if he he's been. Bit, he bit a capsule to like oh, kill himself. Yeah. Okay, I Which, thought he might have been bioengineered. No, because no, that was something that bothered me at first. This is the, the only time watching the episode where I was like, I really don't like what's happening right now because the the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, like this is weird that this Romulan spits acid blood, and then Picard gets knocked fifty feet, and then he like conveniently wakes up at home, and they don't really deal with like the hospital or anything. And then he kind of comes off as, like, so convinced that he has to go find out who killed Dodge, and it all seemed to be playing very fast and loose with everything. But after I've watched it a couple times, it doesn't bother me so much anymore. my pretty much basically my only complaint about the episode is, wouldn't there be police or security who would want to question Picard about why he was on top of a Starfleet building when a big explosion went off? You know, somebody would have some questions for it. This felt like Discovery when they they just rush past stuff. They did throw, do do a throwaway explanation that his, uh, his Romulan, uh, uh, staff tells him, which is that the camera didn't catch anyone but him. So presumably they had some kind of cool Tal Shiar or some kind of high tech stuff that, you know, we've don't, seen, they didn't we've seen them talk about that. Right. They didn't before. appear on cameras. There's some she type of, didn't appear on camera. Right. There's some they mentioned that she probably has a cloaking device. So yeah. apparently like this is this is at a state where people can have like individual cloaking. Yes. This might be why these abductors aren't just beaming her off the planet. They're they're coming down to capture her. And we get additions to their mystery in that not only do they not want anyone to see or hear that they're Romulan, but they also, like, like they beam up their dead. And, right. like, that one guy, like, kills himself instead of being captured. Right. This is pretty dedicated, almost cultish-level uh, focus. Um, and, and we should say, by the way, I don't know if we specifically said, but when that guy spits that venom as he's dying, it hits her and burns her, but it also hits the uh, phaser rifle or disruptor rifle she's holding and clearly causes it to overload and explode. Yeah. And and, and it and, knocks this 90-year-old man, like, 50 yeah. feet across the roof. But they have future medical technology. Yeah, sure. It, it, it also, it's, it's, it's easier <laughs> to, to buy into it after we just saw him, like, 
about to have a heart attack running up those stairs. Yeah. So, like, the show is, like, telling you, like, we haven't forgotten that he's old and frail. Like, yeah. yeah. Do y'all, so, so, do y'all think she's gone? Because there's, there's reason, of course, that the actress will return. But do well, y'all think she's gone? I, I mean, I don't... It, they, it might be, oh, yeah, they just kill this character and then it's her, her copy that we yeah. deal with. Yeah, but, that's well, kind of what I'm thinking. But I'm well, just thinking that if Dave I mean, like, were to be caught in an explosion... Of uh, of a he phaser was, rifle, he was caught in an explosion of a fucking starship. Do <laughs> uh, you survive it? No. Okay. Well, I'm t- a phaser <laughs> rifle is less than a starship. My point is, if Data might have survived it, an explosion like that, which it was a big explosion, but it wasn't like a necessarily like it wasn't a nuke. Uh, it was just a big explosion that maybe like went fifty or a hundred feet or something yeah, like Picard that. Picard didn't even need a refrigerator. For, for, <laughs> that's right. That was a deep cut there. Um, but uh, that. Uh, I, I believe we may see her before the show is out return. That's just a but theory. We, we, this sets up the, the connection to the last scene with Picard where he says that, okay, so he he has a mission now. He's tired of just like sitting on his ass, um, not not being the, not not like challenging himself, pushing himself, like like uh, how, how he describes it, how he, he hasn't like uh, put, put his ass in gear like he used to. And now he's he's off to find out who was after her, who killed her, and he goes to the Daystrom Institute, which we've never seen before. The often mentioned Daystrom Institute, which we now know is in Okinawa. Yep. So I like when stuff is on Earth in Star Trek, but not everything in the United States. Like I like the Capitol being in yep. Paris, I like Picard being a Frenchman. I like the Daystrom Institute being in Japan. Right. Daystrom Institute, high-tech uh, institute for Richard Daystrom, the designer of the Ultimate Computer. And this is where we get introduced to uh, another character who we know is going to be a regular, uh, Dr. Uh, Agnes Gerardi. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. Allison P- actress Allison Pill. I thought she came off very well. I was like, oh, I like this girl. I can put up with yeah. watching her for a while. She's a kind of quirky, put-upon academic who has to uh, only research uh, synthetic life and AI and all that stuff. Uh, in a world where that has been outlawed for like what yes. uh, ten Which, years? Yes, she, she, or uh, fourteen. Fourteen yeah. years, uh, right? And and uh, just kind of dreams of being able to do practical experiments, but it's it's against the law. So they do hypothetical research. See, yeah. Now I have a question here: What happened to Doc Holodeck and the other semi sapient holograms that had been created. Because if a robot They're... walking around could grab a starship and blow up Mars, surely a robot that's built into the computer of a Federation a Starfleet starship could commandeer the starship's computer system and start blowing things yeah, up. Yeah, we, we might find out more about the Voyager Doctor in Season 2, because it sounds like Robert Picardo is going to be involved in oh, that. Oh, is he? I had not heard that. So, so uh, uh, not, Or it may, be, uh, may go the way of the explaining the Hobus supernova, which is to say they're like, this doesn't move the story forward. <laughs> so, Well, yeah, I'm just wondering, are there are the EMHs still out there? Is Mor- yeah, we, Are there Moriarty well, we, type? They have that archive um, index. That's but true. But we don't know, like it's limitations like right. like it was trying to learn humor so right. yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean that it has the depth that ultimately the emh has yeah. uh, or we could have um picardo show up as zimmerman um who as an ai expert who programmed and created the emhs um would also be an interesting you know person. that would be cool so um and you could explain why he got older easier so yeah but with uh with dr gerardi or Agnes, I don't know, if, or on a first name basis. With nah, this she's Dr. Gerardi. 
Uh, they are kind of writing her like the Jordy of this episode, where they give her like all the techno babble. You have to explain all like these weird scientific scientific concepts that don't actually exist in reality, but you have to make all of this clear to the audience, and you have to memorize all these difficult lines. Among other things, she catches Picard up on what their big goal was that they were like on the sort of on the cusp of or whatever, which was synthetic humans that could or like. Well, they, they they were a thousand years away from that. She said, "Right, right." But, that but was, she that says the end game, right? That their end game, their dream, I guess, was to create a uh, a synthetic that was so uh, human that it was almost indistinguishable from. So kind of like like a replicant in a yeah, little ways for like very, from Blade Runner, very Blade Runner or Cylon from Battlestar Galactica. It was Only they could weird. jump up three flights of stairs <laughs> in a single bound. It was a little weird <laughs> to me that they thought that that would be a thousand years out because I was like, God, Trek's future like like tech is so generally high. I feel like yeah. that seems like within their parameters. But the story needed them to make it sound like that would be like almost impossible if it existed today. Right. It sounded like it was just the soon positronic brain that they couldn't do. Yeah, they, they said that they haven't been able to replicate data. Yeah, they they said they could do the body pretty easy, but yeah, yeah. just giving it, giving it sentience would be the hard part. Yeah, the brain, which makes sense. Like you can you can create organic material artificially in Star Trek. Yeah, um, it would be uh, difficult to copy uh, data level intelligence yeah. even though somehow the voyager doctor seems to also be on like the same level of, but, uh, but the voyager doctor also has a massive computer core that's probably like you know the, the size of a, of a couple of minivans or something yeah, but he can you put know? it well okay i was gonna say you can put it into the uh, mobile emitter but that's future future tech yes that's future future tech yeah future future <laughs> tech so There's yeah. future future tech tech yeah so <laughs> so um yeah, again, we're, we're, it actually seems to more or less make sense. But the, uh, uh, the big news that we get here was that, uh, a couple of things. One, Bruce Maddox from Measure of a Man. The, the guy, guy who wanted to make multiple datas yeah, and wanted to dissect them to do it and possibly kill them. Yeah, sued to sort of rule that data was just a machine so that he would have the rights to kind of treat him as a replicable machine and, and to research him and dissect him and all that stuff. Yeah. Lost the case. And just well, tottered off. Walked no, he walked away with a bit of respect. Oh, that's for Data. true. He did. Yeah. He and did he's mentioned. Grow. He's mentioned again in the episode Data's Day, where Data is corresponding with them. So they become pen pals. Uh, right, pen pals. That's and, a very cool and Star Trekky thing. The notion that somebody who was uh, in some ways, if not broken, then had some some kind of a, a poor perspective. Let's say <laughs> uh, was able to grow. And she, he, we, we learned that he was the one who hired. Alison Pill, right? Yeah, he, re he recruited her out of Starfleet. So I took right. that to mean she's ex-Starfleet. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah that's she right. She left Starfleet to go to the Daystrom Institute. Yeah, that's, that was my interpretation. So, okay, we're on the same page with that. But he disappeared after the, what, the, synthetic... The ban on synths. Yeah, so, so he's been... He, that, that's one of the one of the mysteries. I mean, like... The they're planning a seed there. That's a Chekhov's gun. Yeah. He's either going to come back, or he's going to have... There, there's going to be some type of revelation with him. His work will play a role or yeah. something, yeah. yeah. I, I mean... Him as some, carrying out some mission for data, some some plan data had that I never love that. data um, yeah. is certainly one way to go. Uh, for what it's worth, on Facebook, uh, Melissa Snodgrass, the, the TNG writer yes, producer, who wrote Measure of a Man, she claims on Facebook that they have yet to contact her about negotiating royalties for that character. Oh, now she could be lying to keep the surprise going. Yeah, it might but, have been part of the conditions. Given, was like, 
okay, we're gonna pay you these royalties, but you have to sign this uh, non-disclosure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's that kind might of unfortunate if it comes to the point where she has to like say things that kind of, in a way, malign the present writers yeah. or the producers and stuff uh, by saying that yeah, they did. They're not you know, contacting her about these things. But uh, hopefully that will all work out okay. Because I think we would all be interested in seeing his return. I would certainly yeah, like to see I his think. return. Um, yeah. And, and uh, it's only one of the, one of the best episodes of TNG. It's like the, maybe the most vital it's, data episode ever. It's certainly the best season two yes. or season one episode. <laughs> yeah. Like out of, out of that first 46 episodes, it is yeah. easily the best. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's nothing close to that until seasons three and four. She also, while talking to Picard, uh, does, did he bring the necklace? Yes, he shows her the necklace, which the simple two circles uh, that are touching. She says, like, oh my god, that is the symbol for neural fractal cloning. And not a Venn diagram. Which was, <laughs> was Bruce Maddox's theory of it would be possible to take one single neuron from Data's uh, positronic neural net and reconstitute everything. Yes, and but they could rebuild him, and it would work by it would work by creating twins. So it made me think of maybe like a mitosis type thing of how like yeah. cells divide. But they had what is with the twins thing? Like you know, Data and Lore and all that stuff. It's a big thing in robotics. Yeah, I, I almost wonder if they'll tie that in that they had in order to make Lore, they had to make Data or something. Yeah, that that, would, that, that there's an inherent. Twinning thing you have to yeah. do with androids, like in Pacific Rim. Androids. In Pacific Rim, how you need two dudes to drive a Jaeger. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's just how it works. Yes. But the uh, the we also get the, the reveal of B four in a drawer, right? Yeah. We didn't know if that was lore. We didn't know if it was lore in a drawer or B four in a drawer. But now we know that that's B four. And I love here that they said like no. Data's dead. He tried to copy his neural net into B4, and it all just kind of disintegrated. Yeah. Well, they have to say that because if they could just pull a a single neuron out of that android, then the whole plot would go in a different direction. So they have to make very clear that that was a complete no-go. A distinct, lesser (laughs) version of Data. Brent Spiner also said that part of coming back to play Data was he didn't want to undo the death. Yeah. Now, I think it's possible that we might find out that Maddox was working on something to, like, revive Data, and we might even see, like, Data come back as, like, a flesh-and-blood human. You think uh, maybe and, different actor if they did that? No, I, I think that it might be Brent Spiner's kind of misleading us or something, and, and we actually get... Well, technically, Brent... Data will always still have died, even if he is reconstituted. <laughs> well, 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 what if... What if they did something where Data could be, like, a real flesh-and-blood human, like he always wanted, yeah. and it's actually, like, Brent Spiner playing him, and it's okay if Brent Spiner looks older, because he's not he's like, a real person? I think that would be kind of cool, but I love the idea that it's not... I do kind of like that. It would allow him to emote and do a lot of those things that... He still found many episodes <laughs> to do that in, uh, but... Um... But it would be kind of cool to see Data get his dream, I have to admit. And I'm thrilled, yeah. I'm thrilled that they're not gonna do what the, uh, 2009 Countdown comic did, and just be like, oh yeah, B4 turns into Data. Yeah, right. I thought that was very... That's such, like, a cheap comic booky in a bad way type of, right. like, like, it was what o- Nemesis, omitting a death. It was kind of what Nemesis had set up as the out, but yeah, it, it was just kind of a, unimaginative, the most unimaginative follow-through you could get. The other Star franchise recently just extremely disappointed me with how they just completely undid a, a, a major death of the original trilogy with uh, no explanation. And, it, yeah, it, it really cheapened that. 
And I don't I don't want to see that in my Star Trek either. Yeah, I debate it with you, but I I like that one alright. Yeah, we're not gonna to... <laughs> talk about that. You brought it up. <laughs> the, the, other, the other Star franchise is fucking shit fifty percent of the time. <laughs> I'm I'm aware of your pronouncement on it. Um so, uh, what is what conclusion does he come to with uh, Doctor? What, what's her name? Gerardi, Ger- Agnes Gerardi, Ger- or Gerardi? Yeah, but yeah. So they know that there's a twin out there, right? And Picard so, resolves. He's like, I need to find that because, and, and is his primary motivation to a find out what the deal was with Dodge, but also because it it holds the promise of potentially bringing Data back, well, or I just at least saving Data's daughter or yeah. offspring. He, he, he has loyalty. Favor. He has loyalty to Data's family. Yes. Right. Um, I don't. I don't know if we'll actually we'll get a return of data. I just wanted to throw that possibility out there. They but, do uh, when the, the the Romulan goon squad shows up the first time. They're like they're saying, "How many of the, there are you?" And it does seem to be pretty common knowledge that this process involves twins. So, oh are my there, god, I just thought of something. Are there a whole bunch of hers? What if there are five? That's why there is the five queens. Because didn't they say in TNG that that, that uh, Nuni and Singh created five different positronic brains? And so that's why there's lore and B4 and data, and you would think there's like two other datas out there. Right. Yeah. Or data-like androids. Yeah. Earlier prototypes. Did they actually drop the number five in there somewhere? Yeah, I don't remember what the number was, but I know there was a number. What episode are you thinking? I don't recall. Uh, It would have been the first, uh, I think it was the, um, I want to say it was the first... Lore episode, data, data lore, lore and data season lore. One. Yes, data. I, I think that's All the right. one where they people mentioned. people get on this. We'll, we'll we doubtless will will as well. Yeah, maybe um, maybe we'll see the uh, the sister to Dodge, who her name is Soji. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll see her die in the next episode, and then we'll move on to the next <laughs> one after that. <laughs> you think uh, we're, any chance we're going to see lore? I mean, we know he's sitting in a closet somewhere. He's. I. I think they just just leave him alone. Like, he was disassembled. That's the end of him. They just death penalty him, which which seems kind of weird for Star Trek. But it's a it's a little maybe too kind of melodrama y and too kind of bringing bringing the past back too much. I almost think. But what I if Mad- like Maddox put Lore together for an experiment and Lore got loose and, and that, he's the one behind if, all the crazy? What if to make I mean, the, make the sense, Maddox had to put Lore back together and he was trying to copy that neural net? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's why the sets ended up going rogue because right. they're kind of like descendants of Lore. And he disappeared afterwards because he was racked with guilt. Yeah, he's like, I just murdered him. all those people on Mars. <laughs> it's a little, like I say, like I actually feel like it's almost a little too obvious to have Lore at the, you know responsible for that um, yeah. but i can see ways it could be done yeah uh but among the, let's say i'm trying to think and let, let, let's talk about the final scene and then let's yeah, we see the romulan reclamation site and a romulan ship flying up to it it's later revealed to be a borg cube yeah. this is where we meet our character Narek, played by uh, harry treadaway i swear uh, i've heard a romulan with that name before somewhere else a book a comic a game the in a uh, face of the enemy there's a uh, romulan with a similar name but i don't think it's uh, the exact same i think it's like novik or something but yeah because with the end ends with a k i okay. think right. um it is similar but yeah the, yeah we meet dodge's sister i guess whose name is a. Uh, Soji, mm-hmm. Soji um, Asha, yeah, is that what it is? We don't know what's going on here. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's some type of scientific research from something that the actor Harry Treadaway has mentioned. He said that his character is a Romulan of a wealthy family, and he's conducting scientific research on the Borg cube. 
Right, we see these sort of like reclamation center. Right, what they are? (laughs) Yeah, what what are they? What's the reclamation? Yeah, right. Uh, We don't know. Um, There's also like it seemed like the Borg cube that this thing is. uh, It's surrounded by like hundreds of like tiny like satellite type things or some kind of drones. Well, I just assumed that was just like Romulan technology, like like keeping it stationary or something. In the in the brief flashes of next of the rest of the season, I saw what looked like those satellites moving and doing something. Like they were beaming, you know, some connective light to it or triggering something was triggering them. I feel like there is some, some. They are. It is doing something. So they have this conversation. Uh, he kind of starts to talk about his uh, past and says, you're probably not interested in that. She said, just kind of like, try me. I'm, I am interested. She seems like she might be like a psychiatrist or something. Because he, he says that uh, you've, you've been fixing broken people all day. This is probably the last thing you want to talk about when you get off work is me and my how I, I just lost my brother recently. I think he said a year ago. Yeah. Um, and she's like, no, no, let's talk about it. She so, certainly seemed interested enough in him to want to talk about it. Yeah, so and, and I didn't feel like she was being guilted into it. Like, no, she, no, let's. She's aware <laughs> that she has a twin, so I don't know if like Dodge knew that she had a twin, but maybe they, maybe they grew up together in Seattle, or they have memories of growing up together. Yeah, in Seattle. I have really. It seems really hard for me to imagine Dodge knew about the twin because she never were, mentioned it. Yeah, if you were suddenly having these weird visions, doubting your own identity, being chased by guys with guns, and you finally take the risk to call mom, wouldn't you say? Is my sister okay? Right. Wouldn't that be like mm-hmm. just about the first thing out of your mouth? Yeah, it is. A, that is a, that is one of one of the bigger mysteries to that I suspect so I, may get answered soon. Well, yeah, if she doesn't know she has a sister, then that works. But fine. This but this one then, does know. Yeah, which makes if this it one weird. does know, and she says, "My dad gave both of us a necklace like this." Yeah. So, but if these are all false memories, then who knows? Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely a, a lot of mysteries. I think we're all three eager to see them played out. Yeah. And uh, we'll have to wait till next week before we we learn any more. Uh, good scrumptious mysteries that, yeah. that feel like they feel tasty. So uh, yeah, but, I, uh, any does it, well, go ahead, Brian. Oh, I was just going to say, I also like that it was a thoughtful science fiction episode. It was not just run and gun and explosions and and big character drama moments, but but there was also you know intelligence to this oh, like the, i like in star trek and the the thinking person science fiction fractal neural cloning gobbledygook yeah. it's all like totally like made up science i don't think it has any basis in reality yeah. at all it's totally created almost as as fantasy to to service the story they want to tell yeah. but it works so much better as like star trek scientific talk than what they did on discovery with like time crystals and right. stuff like that sometimes we people scientists give things silly names or this the nickname the silly stick nickname is what sticks that happens in real life but <laughs> yeah this this had the feel like it didn't go i would say into techno babble sort of the way tng might but it it definitely felt more like it had that more purposeful little bit of techno babble yeah. Than than discovery even really attempts for the most part. Yeah. Well, we are way over time, so I, yeah. d- I do want to like uh, wrap up before we go into the sure. the Easter eggs. But just like if you have if you have any final thoughts, what's what's one final thought? Well, you know, Brian, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the sci fi thing, and here's the thing: is to me, it felt like a a good version of like the TNG movies, like a lot of the best of what I like about them. I, I don't know if it like really wrestled or brought up a like a moral conundrum or a technical or like some issue of that technology brings about. I I feel like the sort of the question of like robotics and th- synthetics is 
sort of an overplayed thing in a lot of sci-fi right now. Actually, it's getting it, lots of good. There's lots of good things to describe it out there from West and it's relevant with with the artificial right. artificial intelligence on the horizon. But, but I don't know if they're gonna like. I don't know if they really have an interest in discussing that, or if it's something that just moves forward a suspense plot. I think it, it's and, mostly a, a a social allegory and symbolic structure. But that's what's the meat and potatoes I mean, of Star Trek. If nothing is. else, yes, Picard was is is you know speaking of them as sort of a marginalized group that he did not like being becoming further marginalized and completely expunged. And, really. and, yeah. And did not approve of the some yeah. some synths are bad, therefore all synths are bad philosophy that the Federation right. and Starfleet clearly is taking. Right, and for sure you can read a lot into that metaphor. Yes. Uh, if I if I were to like have a complaint, it'd be that I would maybe like them to lean a little bit more into those kind of questions as they as the series moves along. But as a drama, I think it's fantastic. I think it was a great first episode, and I liked all the characters. And, uh, you know, like, I don't think there was any, like, fat on it, really. It, it sometimes moved quietly, but I don't think it was, like, being uh, the, it was bloated or uh, indulgent or anything like yeah. that. So I thought it was, uh, in some ways, about as good a first episode as you could get and better than I expected. Yeah, it, and it yeah. takes time to breathe. Yeah, it takes like time a good to, wine. Yeah, well, I suppose yeah. yes. All the wine metaphors, uh, which, yeah. which discovery generally does not take time to breathe. Correct. It's all about go, 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 go. Yep. This was like let's set a tone, let's let's build an atmosphere, mm-hmm. let's let's prattle on about tells with poker. Yeah, and Picard's, uh, you know, that melancholy that I mentioned got to breathe and and kind of. Un- unveil itself. There, yeah. there, it still would would move a little too quickly. Uh, with like that one instance where we go from like the explosion to the couch to Okinawa, all like right, real yeah. quickly. But yeah, overall, like I, I do like the the structure and pacing and writing here better. And I don't want to beat up Discovery; it gets beat up on a lot. And yeah. all three of us like Discovery. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I wish that they had done a little better job sticking the landing in season two, and I'm still a little bitter about that, but. <laughs> Overall, I, I enjoyed the first two seasons of Star Trek Discovery. I love this so much more after one episode. Yeah, I yeah. I kind of don't want to lean into that too hard because I don't want to knock Discovery because Discovery has a lot going for it. But it did feel more instantly Star Trek with me, and um, and and, and Patrick Stewart's he's just such a lovely person to watch. Yeah, you know, best <laughs> best actor on TV right now. I would yeah. say this. Certainly grabbed my attention and emotionally swept me away much faster than Discovery did. It's also got all this nostalgia fan service going on that Discovery, sometimes by choice, sometimes by setting, was not, it did not use. And I, I mean, Discovery's taking the harder path. It's like, oh, look, brilliant actor that you love. Look, brilliant actor that you love. Oh, look, reference to Bruce Maddox. Oh, look at all the fun things, you know. It's, it was easier to do a good Picard series than it is to do a good Discovery, I think. Sure. And I have to respect Discovery for taking the harder road. And I'm very excited to see what Discovery does for season three. But that said, I love the hell out of this first <laughs> episode of Picard. I really, really fell hard for all that fan service. So I'm just going to run through the Easter eggs that I picked up on. And if I skipped anything that you noticed, by all means, let us know. And this is actually a long list, because there were a lot in here. Right, let's hit it. Um, so, Fan um, service. <laughs> some of these things we already mentioned, so I'm not going to bring up again. But uh, a couple of little visual things. When we did see that ex- that exterior shot of the greater Boston area, there's a, in the, the lighting on there, we can see a Ferengi Alliance symbol. <laughs> 
the logo for the baseball team, the London King, so maybe baseball's made a return again, even though any from, from Boston would tell you that they would always be Red Sox fans forever, I think, <laughs> knowing a couple of Bostonians in, in life. That's, uh, <laughs> that's how my wife is. So. <laughs> uh, there's also a sign for what kind of looks like it says, uh, Cassidy Yates, like, and it looks not dissimilar from the Cassidy Yates Freights logo from Deep Space Nine. Oh. That, uh, so, maybe you'll get your DS9 plug, at least you have that technology. Yeah, I mean, I guess that technically counts as <laughs> the uh, DS9 reference I wanted. Um, uh, moving past that, we see some very Okudagram-looking L cars, both on Picard's replicator controls and also, again, in these uh, Starfleet archives. Yeah. Which, we didn't get anything close to that in Discovery, so I was super happy to see that. Uh, I also like that Picard's replicator... Has like what in this time period would probably be like old school L cars. Whereas, By the way, I'm sure most people know what that is, but L cars is like the heads up display or whatever on all their. Well, it's not a heads up display. Oh, but it's, like it's, the, it's the it's the icon the, the visual the, icon the, the computer display. Yeah, the, the GUI, the, the the graphical user interface. Yeah, you click on through the touchpad, yeah. touchscreen. Yeah. But I like I like that Picard has that on his replicator, and Dodge has like what probably would be like the more modern high-tech holographic the menu actually like sticks out to you in three dimensions the card's got the old man thing. version yeah, yeah. <laughs> um oh uh, touch screen how quaint <laughs> in the uh news footage montage we get to see uh patrick stewart rocking some of the the older uniforms like the uh uh, the black and gray Starfleet uniform and the the white dress uniform, but we also get a shot from I believe it's from the episode "Sins of the Father" in uh, Next Generation season three of Helm and Worf, and we get to see normal looking Klingons. Something else on my list of things I wanted to see. Yeah, they did Photoshop Worf to look like a yeah, Discovery, Discovery Klingon. Klingon. <laughs> yeah. So now if they ever show Worf, he has to look like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Worf is in the series now, just as a photo, but he's there. And the, all the things that are in the Starfleet archive, there is a model of the Stargazer, Picard's uh, first ship that he commanded. There's a model of the Enterprise-E. There's a model of the Enterprise-E captain yacht. There's a painting of the Enterprise-D. We see a Klingon Batleth. We see a Klingon Ducktog. That's the little three-blade knife. Uh, there is a book, which I believe is the uh, complete work of William Shakespeare. Uh, he had a, yeah, a bound collection of books that was, yeah, definitely one of those Shakespeare, Shakespearean collections. No, not, not the photo album? I guess he probably took that to the Chateau. Yeah, you'd think you'd keep that at home. Yeah. Um, there's the Picard Day banner that the children on the Enterprise D made him. And the uh, the artifact from the chase, the Curlin Nasikos, or however you say it. The Nas- Noscos? Noscos. What was that? I Noscos? want to say Noscos. That's that priceless artifact that he gets in the chase from his old archaeologist buddy. Oh, yeah. And then in Star Trek Generations, when Hillman Riker are cleaning out the ship in the very last scene, he kind of just, like, throws it to the side. And I'm like, that's really dumb, because they made such a big deal of that being, like, a priceless artifact. Yeah. But now we can just assume that that was a replica that he threw to the side. <laughs> yeah. And the real thing was... Instead of it just being a campy movie bit. Yes. <laughs> okay, sure. And uh, that's um, all the stuff I noticed in the archive. But then the other connection I wanted to point out was to Law from The Offspring, Data's first attempt at a child. For sure. Uh, I'm going to want to revisit that episode. Uh, yeah. Others. And it's a good one. It makes me cry. Um, but the, the name Law is Hindi for uh, Beloved, I believe. Mm-hmm. Or Beloved. 
And I, I, uh, to me, like, Dodge sounded very uh, Indian or Hindi. Mm-hmm. So I looked up what that name means in Hindi, and it actually means sun, as an S-U-N. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, what if Soji, what if her twin sister Soji, what if that means, like, moon or something? I looked that up, and that doesn't mean anything in Hindi. Yeah. Uh, that was a nice idea. But um, I, This I, case has hit a dead end. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was intentional, <laughs> but... Um, also, the this one might be a stretch, but Romulans wearing helmets. That's kind of a connection to TOS Romulans. <laughs> the old school ones, yeah. Um, they just added like the, the, the glass face mask to hide their identities. The idea that the Romulans are preventing anyone from finding out that they're Romulans is kind of goes back to the original Romulan war yeah. where they kept themselves they're secret. all about secrecy. I, yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. I, me neither, but that's a good one. Uh, on the Borg Cube, the Romulan Reclamation site, we see regeneration alcoves in the background. Oh. Kind of a visual clue that it was a Borg ship before we get the big pan-out reveal of it being a Borg ship. And then the final Easter egg, which was my personal favorite, and this is, to me, like one of the coolest things that they've done in Star Trek in years. But That's a pretty deep cut. I didn't notice it the first time I was watching, but when Narek's ship is flying into the Borg Cube... I do remember seeing that and being like, oh yeah, like I'm really into this. I like the music. I like the special effect. It's kind of dramatic music. Yeah. Then when I rewatched it a second time, I started like humming this music. And it dawned on me like, I've heard this before. And it's a rearrangement of the uh, original cues used for the Romulans in Balance of Terror. <laughs> yeah. It was reused throughout the original series, but I think it first appeared in Balance of Terror. And I love like that that big dramatic Romulan music. I, I am surprised they didn't go back to the classic TNG Romulan theme that was also very, very strongly associated with the Romulans for the first uh, several Romulan stories yeah. by Ron Jones. They had a very... But no, but this theme. is better. I mean, I, I broadly I, I, feel all the music in TOS is better by far than TNG. Oh, no, you're, you're not listening to the right TNG music. Ron Jones is amazing. The rest of it's crap. What seasons so, in general? He did one, the two, and three, two, and then they told him he was oh, okay. too good and Right, right. Him. That was the point where yeah, you actually they, can hear the music. They, yes. they told him he was distracted. The music was distracting. Yeah. <laughs> but even in Face of the Enemy, they have good uh, music with the Romulans, I thought. Okay. Fathery, oh, yeah. um, I don't consider this an Easter egg, but I did notice that among the news crew was a uh, a trill and a, a tellerite, because oh, yes. uh, yes. I saw the tusks. I wasn't sure if he was a tellerite. Uh, I actually happened to be looking at IMDb later, and uh, and I saw somebody was literally credited as Tellarite, uh, so uh, it had to be him. Yeah, well, that sucks because I don't really like that Tellarite design. design yeah, that much. I, I would always prefer piggish over scary spike faces, but like that's even that was even worse than the Tellarites we saw in Discovery. It kind of was, but it is what it is. It was that's a Tellarite. By, by all means, the ugliest Tellarite I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> There's some stiff competition in that category. <laughs> But like I said, if you saw anything that I didn't notice, let me know. And if you are checking us out on YouTube, be sure to give us a subscribe and comment. Share your thoughts about this episode, and we will point them out next week when we discuss Star Trek Picard Episode 2, Maps and Legends. I feel like people will have thoughts on this. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And you can also uh, comment uh, on our Facebook page or... Uh, holler at me on Twitter and let me know there and we will share some of y'all's thoughts next week. And I think that's uh, going to be it. We are now in the era of uh, Star Trek Picard. Yeah, yes. super so, excitement uh, to commence. The next nine weeks are going to be a lot of fun and uh, please uh, join us and be part of this discussion with us. And uh, until next week, 
Live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at TXTrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.